welcome to another episode of Chapter Chat. My name is Carrie Ebert and I am one of your co-hosts for this evening. Uh, my good friend Mike is going to be joining us here in just a second and then we will get started. We are excited because we are actually starting uh, a new book for Chapter Chat. This will be our third book in our new online book club. Thank you for joining us. Let me see here. Still waiting for Mike. So I hope you guys uh, enjoyed our last book. Uh, actually, if you have been with us since the beginning, hopefully you enjoyed the first two books that we uh, did because they were awesome. So while, oh, there is Mike. Let me see if I can grab him. Here we go. And there he hello, is. Hello, hello. Hey, how are you? Good, how are you? Good. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you great. You got your headphones on today. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for telling me. I um, of course. didn't even think about that that might make the sound better. So I appreciate it. So we're going to. I also saw the, uh, the Breakfast Club shirt. Oh. <laughs> I like it. You know, I didn't really think about that it would show, but I'm like, well, now I've, I've dated myself. Now you all know. <laughs> Don't you forget about Chapter Chat. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that's right. So, how have you been, Mike? I've been great. Yeah, it was a, it was a great weekend. Uh, definitely, uh, I've, I've absolutely loved. I know we're only talking about a very small fraction of our book tonight, yep. but it was so great starting a new book after our awesome two first books. Yep. Uh, and I, I've been I've been so excited for Monday. Just did you know? Just just as usual. I know it's it's been great. Uh, we only read just so you know. This is if you're new, if this is your first time joining us, our new book. It's our third book here uh, on our online book cl club, and it is called "Most Likely to Succeed: Preparing Our Kids for the Innovation Era." It is by Tony Wagner and Ted Dintersmith. And so, what we decided—well, I kind of just decided because I didn't want to have to read too much the first week—but we just uh, read kind of the introduction. So I don't know. It was maybe ten pages or so. It wasn't a ton, but. But man, Mike. Yeah, I, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I am blown away um, because one of the things that stands out to me in this introduction goes back to something that you have brought up from day one of us talking here on Chapter Chat. And that is that it really takes one mentor, one That's right. Um, That's right. person in a student's life to be able to affect, you know, their, their future. And I just, I really want, I hope we have time to kind of talk about the two authors and their, didn't you love in the, like the little box, it was like a little, um, little you know, gray box, like a gray box, like a sidebar yeah. kind of uh -huh. their, their own little, uh, explanations of what they thought about their high school experience and what mattered most to them and what was most powerful. And so I got to say, I was really, um, I guess, empowered uh, by their words because it seems to be following the theme of our first two books as well. Exactly. And one thing that I loved was this chapter, this introduction was really all about two individuals coming together, Tony Wagner and Ted Dintersmith. And they basically just got together, had coffee, had a couple of dinners and small conversations became a larger conversation. And it really reminded me of 
the Chapter Chat Book Club. And yep. that's really what these two men did is exactly what we're doing. You know, it was two like-minded individuals that have the same opinions and uh, are seeing, you know, the same issues with school and everything. And they got together and they ended up creating an, an unbelievable best-selling book. Yeah. Uh, and, and they really highlighted a lot of the things that we talk about. And, you know, we, we've talked about numerous times with all the great members of Chapter Chat, what do you remember about school? What are your memories? And people, t and we, we, you don't remember that one lecture. You don't remember that, that time you listened and took great notes. You remember the relationships you had with your teachers and you remember your social experiences and your field trips and your project-based learning. Mm -hmm. And it, it was so great to see the introduction to an, a really powerful book yeah. really seem almost like one of these Instagram lives, it, which it was, was so cool. It was very cool. And what I love so much is the very last page on page 10 of the introduction is he said, as you consider the points we make, we anticipate that you may be impressed by our credentials from two yep. of the world's finest universities. Don't be. I could yep. not love this more. I even put a happy face next to it because I was like that what they go on to talk about is it's not about your academic credentials. That's what uh, the cognitive hypothesis. That's what our education system wants us all to think is if you can graduate from Stanford or Harvard like they did, then you're going to make it in this world. That's all you have to do is get a, a college degree from, a, you know, a, an aspiring university and you'll do really well. And he said, we're here to tell you that credentials are increasingly a sucker's game. Yeah, there you go. I just love couldn't it. believe it. I, I, it. I just love it. He said, we hope you'll benefit from this book despite, not because of, our five graduate degrees from Harvard and Stanford. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, I just, I found that fascinating. And while we're on page 10, for all you people that are reading along with us, one thing I loved about this is it ends the intro with a little question, yep. something for you to think about, because this book really wants you to be thinking about your educational experience and what it could have been. So the question it asks is, during my years of so page 10, everyone go to page 10 if you have your book, during my years in school, the mentor who had the biggest impact on my life trajectory was blank because blank. So that's a great question for you guys. So if you're listening right now, Answer that question in the chat. Write down who, who was your mentor? Who yeah. changed your life trajectory? Who got you to where you are now? Was it, you know, was it one specific relationship you had? You know, what were you thinking when you read this introduction? Yeah, I, I, that was uh, on Instagram, on, on my stories, I even posted that, you know, during your years in school, which mentor had the biggest impact uh, on your life trajectory? And I think, um, you know, if you guys, as your, uh, for those of you who are joining us live, if you want to share, you know, if, as you think about it, as we go throughout this chapter chat, we would love to know what you're, you know, what you remember, who you remember having such a positive uh, effect on your, your your entire life because um, we yeah like Mike said we don't remember specific things that we learned what we often remember is those meaningful learning opportunities and those relationships that we wow have. look at this what, look at this okay, so, so someone answered my autistic high school chemistry teacher how awesome is that wow that I is really cool that is that. tell us tell us more about him yeah tell us more we about would how, love to know uh, more about, about what that. that was like that's really incredible and another person writes, my music teacher who always believed in me, not my grades. 
Look at I that. I love it. I love it. My, yep. my sixth grade teacher encouraged me as a creative writer and artist. I could not love this more. Which is exactly what happened to the author yeah. here. Same thing. Yeah. I, I love it. Um, what I hear, I'm going to read, if it's okay, um, Tony uh, Wagner, when in, in the little gray box on page five, he kind of explained um, that, uh, you know, his, his, who affected his life the most. And I won't read the entire thing, but he said, um, you know, we were talking about writing and he said, the few papers my teachers assigned were usually essays where the purpose of the paper was to repeat the teacher's interpretation of the book we'd quote unquote disgust in class mm -hmm. and then he put in parentheses the teachers did all the talking so that goes back to mike his I there you go his, his comment or his um his descriptive term of lecture listen right that's the lecture listen model of education that our education system is really based on he said and they'd spend an inordinate amount of time spilling red ink all over our papers we like most students today would glance at the grade ignore the corrections and toss the paper in the trash on the way out the door but he said, my, oh, 12th, yeah. my 12th grade English teacher at my new school was the same as the rest. But there was another English teacher at the school, a kindly and soft-spoken British gentleman who seemed different. I don't know why, but for some reason, maybe desperation, I mentioned my interest in writing to him and asked if he could help. He'd be delighted, was his reply. So he goes on to explain, and he says... Um, He'd, um, uh, he'd, he'd say things like, how about writing a humorous story this week? Or give a childhood re reminiscence a try. Or have you seen any good movies lately? How about trying a movie review? He'd read each piece as I sat beside him. And he'd make just a few comments. He'd pick out a word choice or a metaphor that he thought was especially effective. Or he'd comment on the evocativeness of a particular scene or the persuasiveness of a paragraph. He'd also often suggest things I might want to read. Novels, short stories, poems um, uh, of the genre I was playing with in my writing. And here, Mike, I knew you would love this. And playing was the real operative word. Absolutely. Years later, I realized that these weekly assignments were the equivalent of artist sketches, ways to train the eye or the ear in this case and free up the hand. His comments were intended to highlight what was my best writing so that I had a sense of what to strive for. The effect on me was profound and I've never stopped writing. I just. So, so these meetings that mm -hmm. he had were more effective than anything he ever learned in the classroom. Yep. And, and the way he worded it, so, the, so when he was assigned to write an essay in English class, the purpose of the paper was to repeat the teacher's interpretation of the book. Yep. That speaks volumes. volumes. Think, think about that for a second. This, is, this goes back to everything we discussed in book one and book two, really trying to make the uh, American classroom look like the American workplace. Uh, how, how, how can we create something in the mold of our boss? How can we how can we please our boss so we can get that promotion to the next grade sort uh -huh. of thing? It's really, really sad. And the book that we discussed, the teachers did all the talking. The whole point of reading is to talk about the pictures you have in your head. Right. No, no wonder why kids uh, have so much difficulty with visual imagery and nonverbal working memory now, because there's no discussion of, oh, you saw this. I saw this. There's no thinking outside the box. Right, right. Um, somebody just asked, what were the other two books we've covered? So in case this is your first night with us, our first book was How Children Succeed by Paul Tuff. And the second book was Finish Lessons 2.0 by Posse Salberg. And we just oh, yeah. finished this one last week. And they were both, 
I don't even know. You would have thought that Mike and I, let's be honest, Mike, <laughs> had spent months researching our yep. books and the order in which we were going to discuss them because it's as though each book has built on the it, seriously, one. Seriously. And I'm like, this is, if you guys could even understand. So for those of you who are new, Mike lives in the Philadelphia area. Philadelphia, right? yep, yep. Okay, and, and I live in the Kansas City, Missouri area. So we've never met in person. We met online. We just have very... Um, similar professional interests. Yeah, very similar <laughs> brains. It's just kind of been crazy how we've connected. And uh, we did a, a couple of lives just randomly. And I think I mentioned something like, hey, we should do an online book club. And Mike is like, yes, let's do it. And like literally a week later, here we are. So this is just something that our brains, oh, and speaking of this, Mike, how awesome is this? So this little idea that we had really feeds into what the previous two books talked about. And I am quite certain this one is going to talk about too, is the ability to be creative and innovative. Mm -hmm. And Absolutely. when we really look at education reform, uh, that is, because uh, I have my whole little uh, like list of things that if I wanted to see in education reform, uh, really focusing on helping students uh, foster creativity and innovation is going to be essential in, in the 21st century. So I just, I, I love that you and I were able to say, hey, what do you think? Let's do it. How are we going to make it work? We were able to collaborate. Collaboration is another big theme of, uh, uh, of education reform. And so yep. it really makes me excited that we, I feel like you and I, we're practicing like what we're preaching. You know what I mean? We are being innovative, we're being creative, and we are trying to affect change in a novel way. And I think that the world, not to pat ourselves on the back or anything, but I think education needs to be fostering innovation. Absolutely. And last week we had such an energetic, enthusiastic discussion about change and what was happening. I believe it was our friend Callie here from K9 mm -hmm. Therapy that had written in the chat, written in, in the chat of the Instagram Live, chapter chat for change. <laughs> we are the grassroots movement. Yeah, this is exactly what this is exactly what it is. Grassroots yeah. movement, real change starts small and grows. And yep. us being consistent with these chapter chats every single Monday, growing every you know people are people are listening on uh, Apple Podcasts, people are listening on Spotify, they're tuning in live. And they're following along with these books that may have sat on a shelf or they never even knew they existed. I, right. know, I, I know I had no idea this existed. I barely even knew what was going on, going on in <laughs> Finland and how, much, and how much they turned it around. Yeah. But now what we are doing here and the incredible, after every single one of these chapter chats, I have about 10 different messages of people who tuned in and are just like, oh my God, thank you for doing what you're doing. You're incredible. This is amazing. And this is it. You know, this is a chapter chat book club. You yes. see, you see two faces, but this is a huge movement. This is the yeah. grass. This is the grassroots movement. And Mike, tell uh, our listeners uh, what you messaged me about how many people are downloading and listening to the podcast version of this. It's so exciting. I think it was, what was it? Over 8,000, I think. Over 8,000. Yeah, yeah. And that was in one day. In one. That was, yeah. Yeah. I think, I'm pretty sure, right? Or was it in a week? Maybe in a week. I don't, I don't remember the exact number, but the numbers are growing, growing, yeah, growing. Yeah. So we Big know time. it's hard to tune in live because not everybody is available on Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, but we are excited that living in the digital age allows us an opportunity to be able to do it live for those who enjoy and can, you know, are able to join us, but then be able to offer it 
uh, via the podcast. I mean, what an yeah. amazing, amazing. And that's what's so fascinating about the world we live in. And I guess that's why I'm so excited about this book, because we really do live in the innovation era. So we are going to have to figure out then how to start educating children in a modern way that allows them uh, to be creative and innovative. We can't just keep using uh, a standardized curriculum. We have to really look at personalized learning and look at what is relevant and meaningful and look at the, the each student's individual talents and passions. And uh, it, it, it could be amazing what could happen if we are able to affect change. So one thing I'm really excited about at this book, super excited, if you remember with this book, when we, our very first book, book, How Children Succeed by Paul Tuff, we were reading through it and there were a couple of times, because I think this book was written in what, 2009, I think? They were, yeah, 2012. The first one. Uh -huh. So there, were, there was a couple of times we were reading it and we were like, okay, it's a little outdated. You know, things mm -hmm. are a little even worse now and mm -hmm. things are a little different now. This book seems to be a lot more updated. Right. So this one, I think, was 2015, 2016. Yes. Yeah, this but, one we're reading now came out in 2015. I just Yep, looked, yeah. but this one mm -hmm. really seems to be tailored towards the innovation era and screens and tech mm -hmm. and how mm -hmm. that's changing the world and all these things. And I flipped through this book and I see so many different charts and, and so many different things happening. This book is going to be filled with data, filled with information. Uh, this was this book, I've known about this book for a long, long time. Never had the chance to read it, but this one is really, really gonna have Mondays popping off on the calendar. I think so. I think so. One of the things that, uh, again, the books tie into each other so well is on page four in the little gray box is he says, um, uh, these two authors went to school in the 1960s and 1970s, a period yes. that stands in stark contrast, I have it highlighted here, to today's pressure-packed school. And I think, when I think about education today, beginning in early childhood, okay, when you look at the stress and the anxiety, that was something that was brought up in our first two books, is the level of anxiety of students uh, here in America. Uh, it, it's it's um, really... Uh, I, I think concerning that education is causing so much stress for children. And so I think back, I, I was born in 1971. So when I went to school, um, I don't remember it being pressure packed. Now, when I got to high school, yeah, 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 we had, you know, more assignments. We had like group projects. I can remember having like 10 page reports that was before computers. So they were handwritten. Um, you know, we had to use the card catalog because we didn't have a thing called Google. Like we really learned how to do research the old fashioned way if you will. Uh, but um, I don't remember it being so pressure packed that we had stress and anxiety like kids do today. So it is fascinating to think about how each of these books has talked about anxiety in education and what a concern that is. Exactly. And, and we, we talk about executive functioning. That term always comes up, of course. Of course, I'm, you know, uh, uh, an EF nerd, always, <laughs> always, always, always has been, always will be. But it always, it always comes up. And you're up. turning it, me into one. You understand you go. that, right? Yeah, yeah. And it always comes up because that is the missing link. It's the missing link. It's the opposite of the cognitive hypothesis, which we've been talking about. And parents are always messaging me and saying, how do I build time management? How do I build organization? How do I build self-regulation? How do I build self-motivation? And deep down, so many of them want to just have a simple, quick, black and white answer. Okay, right. sit them down and do this. Sit them down and do that. It's not that simple. This is executive functioning. This is they the want frontal. To fix it, right? This is the mm -hmm. this is the frontal lobe of the brain that that develops from experience, varied experience, getting them out there, trying new things, learning cause and effect, 
failing a few times, persisting, going at it, all of those things. And that's what's really highlighted here. So what, what he says right here on page four, kids didn't do activities simply for the sake of building the perfect college application. Right. So, so like that. Instead, back in the day, back when they went to school in the 60s and 70s, kids had ample time in their childhoods to explore, create, and develop passion. Kids yep. had ample time. So here's, so here's another thing. We talk about screens. We talk about, uh, you know, uh, all these different issues happening. But somewhere along the line, over the past five, ten years, parents have come to the belief that kids need to be scheduled, 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 Oh, you scheduled. want to hear my term for that? Because I have all these, like, one-liners. Um, today's society encourage, encourages parents to raise, you ready for this term, Mike? Productively yep. scheduled children productively scheduled children. Because if you don't raise productively scheduled children, then it somehow reflects on you and you are a yep. bad or a poor or a lazy parent. Yep. Um, before this, before this uh, comment goes away though, Mike, someone um, said my seven-year-old has been in the nurse's office three times since school started two weeks ago for tummy aches, AKA anxiety. This is so common. This is exactly yep. what we hear yep. over and over. I've been um, uh, 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 working uh, as an SLP for 26 years now. And I am telling you, the past 10 years, um, it has just gotten out of control. The stories that people tell me about their children. Um, uh, a boredom is a, a term that somebody just mentioned here. Yes. And uh, I just wrote it on my, on my pad here to make sure that I brought this word up. For me, boredom is the most important component of childhood because boredom is the fuel for creativity. So if kids aren't allowed to get bored, if kids are productively scheduled every waking minute every, you know, of the day, then they don't have a chance to become creative, to become innovative. And so this is why it's so important to not raise productively scheduled children. You should be able to say, go outside and play and your child should be able to walk out the door and entertain themselves. Didn't you and I do that, Mike? When you were a kid, were you able to go outside and find some neighborhood kids and find constantly? Something to do? Yeah, that's constantly. what we used to do. And it right? wasn't texting or calling to see if people are available. No, it wasn't. It wasn't using Google Maps to find your way home. No, I had to remember how to get home. Yep. I had to know what stores were open. I had to know what, what was going on. I had to be You know creative. how I knew where all my friends were? Because I'd walk around the neighborhood and I'd see where all the bicycles were. So if all yep. the bicycles were piled in front of Annika's house or Rachel's house, I was like, oh, that's where my friends are. And so, you know, that's the era I grew up in, which is much different from today's era of uh, pr raising productively scheduled children. We start uh, organized sports for toddlers and preschoolers. You know, we have flag football for four-year-olds and we have, you know, um, itty bitty soccer for three-year-olds and so we have kids engaging in adult directed uh, uh, um, uh, sports uh, group sports when they should be engaging in child directed play right but our society doesn't approve of play we have decided that play is a four-letter word and yep. that if children are yep. playing they're yep. not learning Okay, so uh, one of the things that I, uh, when I really looked at, you know, what would we, how would we reimagine education if we could reform it, it and Mike and I both agree on this, is bringing back play-based learning, you know, to yes. early childhood. I mean, that's going to have to be um, uh, eliminating that cognitive hypothesis. Forget about baby Einstein DVDs and brainy baby educational videos and your baby can read program. That is not what children need. Children need opportunities to explore and discover and learn naturally. That's what children need. So they need boredom in their life more than they need anything else. 
And you think about that, you know, back, you know, I, I grew up in the 90s and it was just so, it was a magical time to just, go, like, it was a beautiful day, wake up, go outside, find the people in the neighborhood, you know, whoever was on your block was your friend, all the kids in the block were friends together and just seeing what people were doing and riding your bike and saying, okay, I'll be home, I'll be home in dinner time. I'll, and uh, just have, having to wear a watch and look at a watch. And, and you wonder why kids today have no time management. Right. Because everything is there. Everything is prompt dependent. Mm -hmm. Kids are mm -hmm. kids are prompt dependent. It's not it's not always ADHD or executive functioning. Sometimes it's just, okay, the world is the world is acting as my executive functioning. Right. And, so they'll tell me. Yeah. The teacher will tell me what to do. Or yep. um, my mom or my dad will tell me what to do. So I never have to think for myself. I don't have to plan my day. I don't have to, you know, uh, uh, think, oh, I have to have this done at this time. So what are my steps? If I have to be on the bus at 7.30 in the morning, what time do you have to backwards chain, right? So 7.30, yep. what time do I need to leave the house? Okay, I need to leave by 7.20. So what time do I need to be dressed by? What time do I need to eat by? What time do I need to have my teeth brushed by? You have to be able to go backwards, and that's planning. And we have, I mean, high schoolers who don't know how to do that, right? College who, students, yeah, college students. Have so many people in society who have such weak uh, executive functioning skills and um, yet they might be straight A students and that's what is so baffling I think to so many is well but he's so smart right here we go back to the cognitive hypothesis he's so smart and he gets good grades so he's going to do really really well in life well tell us Mike what do we know about the United States and college dropouts we lead the entire world in college dropouts and being an SLP who specializes in executive functioning, I see this all the time. So I get the most phone calls to my private practice around October, November. Of that's that's it's always it. Parent and teacher so, it, conferences, right? Parent parent teacher conferences, and also my son is about to drop out of college, oh. and he, he can't, can't take it anymore. And you know, we work with when you work with executive functioning, you work with a lot of high school, college age students, college sure. graduate students. Uh, and so many parents contact me and say, hey, my son had a 4.0 yep. in high school. He also had a 50-page IEP, every, every, <laughs> every copy and pasted 504, all of these things. So, so he, he had his hand held, but he had a 4.0, and he did good on the SATs, mm -hmm. and he had crazy accommodations for the SATs. But they get sent to college, and you expect these kids to live on their own? You, yeah. expect, you expect them to be able to turn down the Xbox that's right. one foot. That's one foot away from the, from them in their dorm room to right. go walk. Not have their parents drive them. Go right. walk to the library to go do their work. Right. You ex you expect them to know how to self advocate to text right. their to uh to email their professor to set up office hours. Right. You ex you expect them to be able to initiate friendships and maintain friendships to find people to go to the dining hall with and be able to survive. No, these kids are sitting in their dorm rooms playing Minecraft playing yep. Roblox, playing Fortnite, not doing their work and expecting all of a sudden some magical IEP to pop up to right. help them in college. Right, right. And so if we as adults create prompt dependency in students, okay, in our children, uh, then we can't be surprised when they fail when the adult is not there to hold their hand, right? So we are going to have to start focusing on executive function 
functioning, which is what uh, Mike is uh, the pro at, and he is teaching me an awful lot as we go. Mike said he works primarily with like high school, college age students. Uh, and I will just tell you, I um, specialize in the birth to five population. So I work yep. with the other end. And I just recently uh, wrote a new uh, training uh, for speech language pathologists and early childhood providers called Building Executive Functions Through Play-Based Learning. So I am super excited to roll that out uh, because uh, what's so fascinating is that one of the, uh, from age three to five, is when there is a huge growth in executive functioning development. Oh, yes. So oh, yes. it is really fascinating that there is actually so much we could be focusing on related to executive functioning. And if we could stop trying to get four-year-olds to write sentences, I don't know if you joined us. I don't know if that was last week or the we, you know, I showed you a newspaper article about- Kidney-shaped oh, table. Yeah, yeah, the kidney-shaped table, yep. early childhood teacher, and the caption read, you know, early childhood teacher is helping four-year-olds write sentences. And, and I'm just like, why would a four-year-old be writing a sentence? Like, what, in what world is, is that developmentally appropriate? So That, kid, is, that kid's going to have stomach aches and go to the nurse. Oh, he's the one. There. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. There's a, a private uh, a school. I won't say too much, but here in Kansas City, I don't want to uh, get in trouble. <laughs> but um, they actually um, start teaching cursive in kindergarten. Did you hear me, Mike? They teach cursive handwriting in kindergarten, okay? Because they're already printing in three-year-old preschool. So, so my, my question is, why are we teaching cursive at all to anybody? Well, OTs will tell you it is probably good for the brain because the connectivity. And I mean, I've tried to read some studies on it. I don't, I mean, I, I have no problem, but it'd be more functional to teach typing, you know, absolutely, you know, to yeah. teach uh, keyboarding. But yeah. my thing is, why would we be focused? Why aren't they playing? Why are they sitting at a table writing anything at all? I mean, this is what I don't understand. I, 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 I'm so lost and so baffled at our early childhood curriculum that, um, and it's because of grade inflation. We have a two-year grade inflation in this Absolutely. country. I don't know how it is in other countries, but when you do the second grade curriculum in kindergarten, guess what? You're going to be doing writing and you're going to be doing, you know, a math facts and you're going to be um, uh, journaling. That's what's expected. Of, and here's, and I'm sure I brought this up before, Mike, but since you always talk about um, you know, building that narrative, you know, those visual imagery in your brain that that is so important. Um, being able to journal means the kids have to draw a picture and then write a story about it, which is lovely. But before they can write a story, they have to be able to tell you a story. They have to be able to orally tell you a story. And um, this is why we have so many kids who are failing their language arts in kindergarten, yep. first grade, yep. because they can't journal, because they can't form a cohesive sentence. Well, if they can't tell you a story using, and that's why I have a whole shelf over here of wordless picture books. If yep. you're a parent, if you're an SLP and you're working with young children, one of the best tools you can use to support narrative, cohesive language is to use wordless picture books where the child looks at the picture and actually has to come up with a story on their own. Don't you dare ask them to write a story until they can orally tell you a story. I mean, this is just development in a nutshell, but our education system doesn't seem to care about what is developmentally appropriate anymore. So one, one great thing I do, so I, I do work with a, a large amount of elementary school students as well. Younger than elementary, I tend to do more parent coaching. Uh -huh. but, uh, but the one-on-one -on -one with the, when I work with elementary school kids, one of the most effective executive function building activities we do is actually video journaling. Oh, so a, a, a lot of these kids have Chromebooks, MacBooks, phones, whatever it is. 
I'll have them turn their phone on, record a one minute video in the morning, talking about what they think their day is going to look like, oh, what, what, what they look forward to, uh, what's, who's, who, who they expect to see, what, what they want their day to look like. Then in the evening, I have them watch the video and then do a review and record themselves and say, I was right about this. This was unexpected. This went better than expected. This is something I can look forward to. Those sorts of things. So, so a, a video, because one thing I like to use with my older guys, it's called the High Performance Planner. So okay. this, is a, this is a planner I use with my older guys, my high school, my upper high school college. And one good thing about this planner is basically in the morning, so you, you, you answer all these questions in the morning. Okay. So in the morning, you answer questions like, one thing I can get excited about today, uh, someone who's going to need my A game today, one bold action I can take today. And you answer these questions in the morning. And then in the evening, you basically write about how your day actually went. And then at the bottom, you rate yourself based on how what you scored. How powerful is that? So, that's, so this is something for the older guys. But the younger guys, of course, that's not developmentally appropriate for mm -hmm. them to be able to do that. So right. I have them, you know, just talking to the camera. They, they love the tech anyway. Sure. So, that, so they do a morning and an evening, and it's an oral narrative, and it helps them to build cause and effect and also some inferencing skills, some prediction skills, and it helps them to build that overall metacognition because they're remembering, okay, this did happen today, and this is how I reacted. If it happens again, maybe I should react a little differently. How amazing is that? That is, mm -hmm. that's, that's fabulous. So um, again, one of the advantages of living in the digital age where we have this technology, right? Where we can do this and, and you, everybody has that equipment right there. How powerful. Yeah. That's, yeah. It's, that's it, it, it's, it's, it's really, it's really, really cool. Uh, and, and it, it's just, uh, you know, moving, moving on with this book, uh, this uh, most likely to succeed. And it got me, it got me thinking about, I remember we did a previous uh, chapter chat on how children succeed mm -hmm. and the topic came up is what does succeed mean like what's yeah, what the is success what's yeah. the, what is success what does it mm -hmm. mean like, like what's the definition of succeed and it is very subjective it really is uh, you know everyone has their own definition of success some some people look at it as financial some people sure. look at look at it as health some people look at it as change like mm -hmm. do something different than your parents did kind of thing. Ah, mm -hmm. But you know, I think this book, you know, I think this book's going to do a great job of highlighting what is success and uh, who was able to achieve it and what they did to get it. And, you know, th this book, uh, at one point, they highlight what the different chapters are going to be about. Uh, and the chapter one that we'll do next week is our educational DNA. Uh, and the way that they describe it, let me try to find that right here. This is, uh, this is really uh, our beginning chapter, our education DNA delves into why society places such outsized value on academic credentials, associating them with a person's intrinsic quality, not just with skills that have to be acquired. So everything that we're talking about, we're talking about like the cognitive hypothesis is the opposite of executive functioning. The and listen to this, Mike, on that yep. page, that same, that same paragraph, look at the last sentence. Education credentials are our country's caste system. There you go. Think about that. I mean, yep. that is some it's powerful true. stuff. It's true. Wow. It's, abs it's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. And, it, and, and we talk about this all the time. It goes even deeper. Okay, you're a speech therapist. 
but are you Wilson certified? Are you uh -huh. Orton Gillingham certified? Uh -huh. Do you have experience here? Do you have experience there? Uh -huh. it, it, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. And it's, once again, the opposite of what's going on in Finland, where every, everyone's equal and everyone collaborates. Uh -huh. and, there's yeah. no, and there's no competition. So basically what he's saying here is educational credentials. Oh, you have a master's degree in education. You come from a long, you come from a long line of educators. You've been working at summer camps your entire life. You've been, you've been volunteering at children's hospitals your entire life, uh -huh. but I'm going to hire the person who got an educational degree from Harvard right. or Yale. Right. And has you. a 4.0. And a 4.0. Uh -huh. Ridiculous. Yeah, it is. And I, I think that for, on page seven and eight, I just, I have this highlighted and I think this is probably my, my, my favorite part of this introduction. It says, and this is kind of reminds me of what you always say, Mike, we will see, however, that most lecture-based courses, right, lecture-listen, right, based yep. courses contribute almost nothing to real learning. Consequential and retained learning comes to a very large extent from, are you ready for this, applying knowledge to new situations or problems, research on questions and issues that students consider important, peer interaction, activities, and projects. Here we go experiences rather than short-term memorization help students develop the skills and motivation that transform lives i mean I, skills I, I, like, and motivation mic drop right there skills like, and motivation skills and motivation. but it's about experiences mike how often do you use that term varied experiences how many varied experiences your child i don't care what his grades are i want to know how many varied experiences he's had today if he's not ever getting bored i'm pretty sure he doesn't have very many varied experiences right so absolutely oh you guys this i mean page eight i almost unfortunately have the whole page like highlighted. <laughs> that was my yep. favorite page though when I saw that I'm like what is more important is it's about application applying knowledge is what matters more than memorizing facts but our education system the cognitive hypothesis is about test results right so if you can memorize and you can take a test then we say you have succeeded right that you that education is powerful you're going to do well in life and straight A student Joey goes off to college and flunks out and lives at home until he's 38. And everybody goes, oh, I wonder what happened to Joey, right? Well, poor Joey doesn't have any executive functioning skills. Poor Joey never got to get bored, right? Um, poor Joey never got to fail because mom and dad made sure that he was successful, right? By constantly prompting him, by doing his science project for him, whatever it took, so that he looked good, right? So that yep. he got great grades. And now poor Joey can't function. So um, when we start thinking about what success is, I really like that idea, Mike, of, you know, kind of everybody coming up with their own definition of success, because I would agree with what yeah. you said, that it is very subjective. But when we talk about success in education, how would one define a successful education, uh, you know, in a system? And I think that uh, it's, it's pretty powerful to think about, about what success means when we start looking at education reform. Exactly. And the way the system has been placed is they want us to associate success 
with grades, with numbers, with scores right. that al align with the cognitive hypothesis yes. and, all, and all these big corporations that have, got, that have gotten involved in education. And so, my book, chapter two, is called The Purpose of Education. I cannot yep. wait to read oh my chapter goodness. two. This oh. book, I, I am so fired up for this book. Yeah. It, it, it's it's going to be every single thing we've been talking about, and I cannot wait to hear from all of you within the book club and the yeah. chapter chat community. I think once we read this book, once we, you know, this gave us the introduction to cognitive hypothesis. Finished lessons gave us hope that change can happen. <laughs> and I think this book right here is going to give us, you know, a, a full highlight of just how bad things have gotten yep. and the flip side of exactly what needs to be changed. Uh, it, it's, it's, really, it's really so interesting. And, and going back to the academic and cognitive hypothesis piece is being a, a specialist who, who specializes in ADHD, I end up working with a lot of students who are 2E. You know about, you know about 2E? No, what's that? Yeah. I'm showing two, somebody the book. 2E yeah, is twice exceptional. So oh, you end up, oh. yep. <laughs> yes. so you end, yep. So you end up working with the twice. I, I work with a lot of students who are uh, diagnosed twice exceptional. And all of these students, you know, they are cranking out A pluses, cranking out hundreds, so unbelievably smart. It's just so natural to them to take in information, memorize it, store sure. it. But along with that comes ADHD. And we know ah. that and we know ADHD is not really ADHD. It's EFDD. It's executive functioning developmental delay. So uh -huh. yes, so yes, they're getting A pluses without studying. Yes, they're getting a 4.0 doing the minimum because it's just natural to them. It's who they are. Yeah. But they cannot self-regulate in social situations, when challenges arise, they can't, uh, when their parents ask them to uh, take the garbage out or do their own laundry, right. they freak out and, have it, and, and can't regulate their emotions. Mm -hmm. they, can't, they can't initiate friendships. They can't maintain friendships. They can't self-motivate to anything besides the computer. They can't right. self-evaluate self and learn from something they did a year ago or, or last week. And those are the skills we know that are crucial. So these yeah. twice exceptional students, and some of them are on the spectrum, some of them have ADHD, like whatever it may be, they can't self-regulate, self-motivate, self-evaluate. They have very poor home executive functioning, social executive functioning, but they're very, very strong in academic executive functioning. They're very strong in that realm, but they are the ones who need consistent adult help, and they need what I refer to as the lifelong IEP. They need consistent they are prompt dependent, prompt dependent. their their entire yeah. lives. So, and this is this is what it's all about. Prompt dependent versus independent. So what's missing is independence, right? When yep. we really look at what is the ultimate goal, right? Um, you know, because I, I, I have this crazy thing that I, I, I say sometimes when I'm presenting and I'll say, you know, we're not raising children, we're raising adults. And I say that because the ultimate goal is for my children, as much as I love them, to move out and to be able to live independently on their own without now they're all they're everybody's gonna fail we fail and we learn from our mistakes right and we become resilient and persistent and all of that but independence should be the ultimate goal for everything let me give you an acronym and i don't know if i've talked about this on here or not yet mike but pi p-i-e is my favorite acronym because when i am as a speech therapist supporting uh, uh, young children my and i think this would apply for all ages my primary emphasis of anything I do as a therapist is to increase PI. And PI stands for participation, 
independence and engagement. So everything, every goal I write, if it doesn't uh, um, increase either participation, independence, or engagement, then we are simply just teaching to some test. Because yep. everything, if you want to write functional goals, you guys, if you're a therapist, if you're a provider, if you're you know writing goals, the way I always I always determine if this is a functional goal or not is is it increasing one aspect of pie. Okay, because yep. if it's not, then you're just wasting everybody's time. So this is the reason my son, who is autistic, who has apraxia, who has a little anxiety, who certainly has executive function, executive dysfunction, okay, that I'm now learning more and more about. Um, this is why my son has had very little direct therapy, because I don't want anyone to therapize him. That's a made up word, therapize, right? <laughs> I don't want anyone to therapize him, which is a made up word. It's a verb, and it means to create unnatural um, uh, prompt dependency on an adult, okay, through these adult-directed therapeutic activities. So I'm not interested in anybody therapizing my son. What I want to know is what should we do to support his development here at home? So I always have uh, professionals come and coach me and my husband. These are some things that, you know, I think would benefit you to do at home. So I um, then try to uh, uh, embed those strategies into our everyday life. So my son uh, is 16 and has had very little direct therapy. Whatever he gets at school, I don't know what they do. I don't think they work on executive function, which is his primary deficit. And so mm -hmm. I'm always like, well, whatever you're going to do, that's fine. But here's what we're going to focus on here at home. And so pie is um, something, I don't know, we should just, we should have pie next week, Mike. We should eat Yes, we pie. should. And, we yeah, should. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, and eventually we're going to have to watch the, uh, the movie and the documentary oh. based on this. And it's so called Most so, Likely to Succeed, oh yeah. isn't and, it? And, and it? And it's by the same guys. Okay. So, well, so yeah, so I think after we finish the book, we'll, we'll, we'll do it. Can we we'll do, do it as a Zoom? Like, I could we, we, is there a way to... Oh yeah, that's a way. Yeah, yeah. One of us would just have to share our screen. That would be yep. you because you're yep. the tech guy. Let's How do many it. of you let us know? Uh, would you be interested in watching the documentary together on a Monday night? Like, let's you know, I don't know how long it is. We could do it over two weeks, but maybe that's what we could plan, Mike. If we could figure out, can we just download the documentary? Is it something on you? I mean, is it available? We can do it in a cinch. Okay, no so problem. So Mike's gonna. Are you guys interested in that? Would that be fun? That'd I be a would lot love of fun. to do it because then what we could do, Mike, since you'd be in control of it, you could pause it. You know, we can talk yeah, if we're yeah. all on screen. If we do it as a meeting, a Zoom meeting, um, I have uh, the, the capability to have up to 500 people. So, um, you know, we could. Uh, yeah, yeah, let's do it. That yeah. Be fun? Uh, th right. That would be that, especially after reading the book. Oh, let's, my gosh. Let, let's, let's 100% do that. It, we'll celebrate the, the, uh, ending, the ending of our third book. We, so we are there even... seven chapters? I'm trying to look here. So it'd be seven weeks then. Yes, it looks like. Oh, and then there's a, a new vision for education. So seven chapters. So we have seven weeks, and then we'll watch the, the documentary, guys. And we'll have Mike check into it to see how long it is. If it's more than an hour, we'll break it up, you know, and do it over yeah, two, we two do that. weeks. But <gasps> I'm gonna, so excited. That's going to be fun. And we'll, we'll celebrate the ending of our third book. We can do oh. our we can do our fourth book reveal right before. Yes, we can make we can We've have a lot of fun. It too, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think, I and we'll be able him. to and we'll be able to see everybody's faces. Wouldn't who, that be amazing? Who's been part of this, and we'll be able to interact. I, 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 I'm sure uh, Callie's down and Allison Moulton. Yes. I'm sure all you guys out there. We and we'll, we'll get our friend uh, uh, Carol from uh, from New York can come. Yes, uh, it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, we I'm, would. I'm that would be a lot of fun. I would love to see everybody's faces. So. Um, this is a book club. Somebody's just asking. This is our first time joining. Yes, this is um, a live book club. It's called Chapter Chat. It's every Monday uh, night at 8 p.m. Eastern. And we are on our third book. Uh, so you can go back and listen to the podcast 
on Apple Podcast or Spotify. Correct. It's called Education Chapter Chat if you want yep. to find the podcast. And so if you're new, you can go back and listen to previous. Our first two books were How Children Succeed and Finish Lessons. And now today we are just starting Most Likely to Succeed, our third book. So yep. kind of our mission when Mike and I started this was to really uh, be able to talk about um, uh really child development appropriate uh, child development optimal child development is I think how we word it on our social yeah. media post yeah. and education reform so that's really what Mike and I are going for in the books that we choose uh, because uh, between us we are covering the entire I do birth to five Mike does uh, elementary through college age so between us we kind of see you know the gamut of, uh, of, of children of students so um, it's it's a lot of fun I know we don't what else do you want to talk about in this chapter mike was there anything else you wanted to pull or from this introduction was there anything else you wanted to pull out well i, I would say that the big thing i wanted to discuss was you were talking about uh independence and what you're seeing in your son uh and all you clinicians out there who, who who know all about therapy and child development i'm blessed enough to be experiencing that now with my my seven, your baby my, my your seven sweet baby. My, my seven month old daughter exactly <laughs> and i'm you know i'm really seeing it firsthand that independence is the name of the game. Yep. And, you know, all these milestones are really just independence markers. They and are. that's And that's just a sign of, you know, of, of development. You know, now she sits up on her own. Mm -hmm. She's able to, you know, grab food and feed herself. She can grab things on herself. She can roll over on her own sorts of things. But, See, Mike, uh, but, you can look at every single yep. um, a routine in your day, though, uh, with your baby and you can look at her participation, her independence and her engagement. And exactly. all three of those things are going to increase. And uh, from birth to age three is when the brain develops the most synaptic connections. I mean, yep. there is no period of time in life when the brain develops more rapidly than the first uh, three years of life. So that is why if you see a baby um, and they're eight weeks old and then you don't see them until they're 10 weeks old, you're blown away. You're like, I can't believe this is the same baby, you know, because yeah. in two weeks yeah. time, it's just flabbergasting how much development uh, can occur. And so I'm so excited for you to be experiencing this for the first time. I've had yeah. three children, got yeah. to watch them go through that. And it is um, from a therapist perspective, you know, since we're SLPs, isn't it amazing to watch it unfold? It's, it's amazing. And you know, one thing that I'm thinking about is, you know, she's, she's a little baby. She's still exploring the world and learning the world. There are times where she wants to do things that I know are not safe and not in her best mm -hmm. interest. So I intervene and mm -hmm. I provide those prompts to keep her safe. But mm -hmm. I think I also think about my students and now it's really gotten to the point, you know, elementary, middle school, high school, where parents, schools, it's really more about trying to keep kids safe that, and uh, keeping them within that little box sort of thing than allowing them to sort of gain those independent skills sorts of thing. So like, so yeah. right now, so, so like my daughter, for example, may try to do something that she wants to do, may, may like something that's unsafe, whatever, but eventually it gets to the age now where uh, my son wants to play video games instead of doing his homework. My son wants to play video games instead of doing his chores, instead of physical activity, instead of seeing his friends. Sure. And it gets to the point where parents stop being parents and they try to be their, their, uh, friend. their, their, their the friend and they uh -huh. try to, uh, to just m make sure that they're happy within the home. But it, it's really the same thing. 
I'm stepping in to build her independence skills at seven months old. Yep. Parents need to step in to their middle school age, their high school age, their college age students to make sure they're doing the right thing and they're building the independent skills. Because every parent, like, we don't want to talk about it because this, this, it's like a, a, a grim topic, but all parents, the number one goal is for the child to be successful after the parents pass away. That's the, that's the number one thing. When the parents are no longer there to provide the prompts, to provide the independence, to provide the help, can my son or daughter live a life independent? Can they right. own a home? Can they pay the bills? Can they hold right. a job? Can they have a family of their own? Can they live yep. a better life than I lived? Mm -hmm. And without executive functioning, without boredom, without failure, without resilience, without self-regulation, without self-motivation, those right. things are not going to happen. No matter how smart you are, no matter how, exactly. what your GPA is. And that is, if you're joining us for the first time, the cognitive hypothesis, which was talked about in our first book. That's kind of a term that Paul Tuff came up with, I mm -hmm. believe. Um, but that cognitive yep. hypothesis is what our country here in the United States has been focusing on in education. We just need kids to be smart. We just need kids to get good grades, and then they'll be successful. And we have found that is actually not the case. So one of the things he talked about in, in our first book in um, How Children Succeed is, we've been focusing on the wrong set of skills. And so uh, what Mike and I are really eager to share with everyone is that executive function skills uh, really provide the foundation for all learning. So if we all want learning. to help children be successful in school and in life, then what we should do is learn as much as we can about executive functioning and embed those skills, those higher level prefrontal cortex skills, those are the skills we need to focus on. Now, the reason schools don't and educators don't want to focus on that is because it's harder to measure. There is yeah, no absolutely. standardized test that we can give to say, oh, you know, it's really easy to tell you if little Joey can name five colors or if he can read 15 sight words or if, you know, so what we like in education is we like things to be observable and measurable. Right. That's what we like. But um, what I am learning so much more about as I read everything I can uh, about executive functioning now is that we need to focus on those higher level thinking skills, the planning yep. and the organization and the visual memory. And um, those are the skills that are going to help um, uh, uh, children be successful in life and in school. So it's it's fascinating. That's a, and, and we've 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 said it time and time again. We'll continue to say it. It all starts in early childhood. Yep. We, talk, we talked about it right in the beginning of this was kids are being overscheduled, the cognitive hypothesis, all of these things. Executive functions are developed through boredom, through creativity, and through trying new things. Yep. And when you have And varied kids, experiences. Yes, and varied experiences. Yes. Yep. Mm -hmm. And, when, and mm -hmm. when, you, when you have uh, students going to preschool, going to kindergarten, and they're learning cursive or learning math <laughs> or learning all these skills... Yep. And they don't have time to learn through play, to learn through experience. Play is disappearing in early childhood schools because of the cognitive hypothesis. And when you don't get during those brain formative years, when you don't get to play, 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 it's going to cause problems down the road. Yeah. And not only is play, I'm looking for this book, but not only is play disappearing from schools, play is disappearing from our homes, from our neighborhoods, and from our child care centers. And so, you know, and our schools as well. So that is, oh, here it is. That is one of the um, uh, huge issues is that true play is disappearing. 
And so now we have screen-based play and we have what I would call traditional play. Well, so many kids today don't actually know how to play. They don't know how to play with toys and they don't know how to play socially. They don't know how to play with kids. What did you and I do? We played tag. We built forts. Um, we played kickball. I don't know. We played a pickup game of, um, you know, basketball or, um, you know, we were able to uh, use rocks and um, draw hopscotch on the sidewalk. That's something I did as a kid. I didn't have a ton of toys, but I certainly had social play skills. I was an only child, yet I had great social skills because I, ha I went outside and played with the kids in my neighborhood. Um, one of the things that I think is so fascinating is I was fortunate enough to grow up in the era where you knew your neighbors, where you just played with whoever lived in your neighborhood, right? So I always say I grew up in a neighborhood, but unfortunately I raised my children on a street. And there is a significant difference there because today we don't know our neighbors because we have uh, attached garages and everybody stays inside and plays video games. And, you know, there aren't sidewalks in every neighborhood, so there's nowhere to ride your bike. And, you know, there's an increased emphasis on um, backyard decks instead of front yard porches. I mean, I can go on and on about what the sociologists have found as to why we don't know our neighbors anymore. Okay. There are a lot of reasons why we don't know our neighbors. Um, the one that I think is the most fascinating though, is the attached garages. Cause when I was a kid, your garage was not attached. So every day when you walk to your car, you'd see your neighbor. So you'd talk to your neighbor and that's how you got to know your neighbor. Well, now we don't even see our neighbors. So no wonder we don't know our neighbors. We don't ever even, you know, physically see them. So one thing I wanted to mention though, Mike is um, you know, this is a great book. It's called Teaching Numeracy, Language, and Literacy with Blocks. And I just love it because, you know, it's saying, look, you can use play and you can still introduce academic concepts, but you do it in a playful way, right? It's not like mm -hmm. you say, we're going to sit down and we're going to learn math. It's just, it's now we have to actually like teach kids how to play because kids don't seem to know how to do it anymore. So um, yeah, lots of issues related to, to play. Yeah, that, and, and that's exactly it. So all, all that what we're trying to do right now with Chapter Chat and the, this grassroots movement that we've really created here is everything has to start with early childhood. When, right. we, when we create that change and make it more of an experience than true school, uh, bringing that back and then, you know, that change right there right there, changing the way early childhood looks in this country yep. is going to decrease, decrease there. Yeah. That's exactly what, that's exactly what it stop. is. That, I yep. will not stop until we have play-based learning recognized as a valid and developmentally appropriate way for um, children under age seven to learn. Kindergarten should be early childhood. Kindergarten should not be in yep. an elementary school. Yep. Kindergarten is early childhood. Play more, tech less. Um, so excited to see you on here. I just started yeah. following you and I yeah, love your yeah. content. But she said, kindergarten is next for my daughter and I'm so nervous about finding an appropriate school. Here's what I'm gonna say is the last book we read, Finished Lessons, the thing Mike and I love so much about this is in Finland, because there is equity, okay, every mm -hmm. school is the same. There mm -hmm. is no school choice in Finland because all of the schools are, every neighborhood school is as good as the next neighborhood school. So there is no such thing as having to find a good school for your child. And that would, that's my dream is that here in the United States, that no matter where you live in this country, you know that the school that your child, um, you know, the district that your child goes to is going to be as good as the next district. Right now we have school competition. And so uh, there's private schools, there's charter schools, you know, it's all about competition. You can go to any state and you can um, go to their department of elementary and secondary education and it'll rank which school districts are the best. How are they ranking that? ACT scores, right? They're ranking it on high stakes testing scores. So when you say you're looking for a good school, 
Well, okay, if you're into the cognitive hypothesis, but that would be the last thing in the world I would want to know is how do your kids do on the ACT? What I would want to know is how much uh, creativity and innovation are you building into curriculum? How individualized is your learning? Do you encourage individualized learning? Do you focus on each student's um, talents and preferences and interests? That, to me, is what defines uh, a good school. So, man, do we have work to do. Yeah, and and my friend Julie here at the bottom writes, I'm on my way to Finland as we speak. So, so, so <laughs> oh, there I'm you go. With that's, you. Julie, that's, I'm going with you. Mike yes. and I, we're going to hop on a plane and we are going to go. Um, and, and Mike and I, if you, if you didn't get a chance to read Finnish lessons, you guys, either go back and Have listen to. to the podcast or read it. Because the other thing Mike and I, I think we're so endeared with is the culture in Finland. Like it's mm -hmm. so different from American culture. And so you can't change the culture of a country. I know that. But I just know I would love Finland because their culture is uh, very much about cooperation um, they are huge into, lit into literacy. Literacy is just something that every Finnish person reads for joy, for pleasure. That's just something that's part of their culture. And um, it, it was just really fascinating uh, reading about, um, you know, their education system. I enjoyed it so much. This, this book, I, I, I am so excited to not only read it. Uh, so someone's asking, what's the name? The name of the podcast is Education Chapter Chat. So you go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, type in Education Chapter Chat. You'll see our faces. You'll see all the all the episodes here. Finish lessons. How to children succeed. It's 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 a lot. A lot of people are listening to it. A lot of SLPs spend a lot of time in the car. Parents in the car popping mm -hmm. in and listen. It's 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 a great listen. But yep. this but this book right here, uh, you know, I, I think this is really going to be the icing on the cake for all you people that have stuck with us and yep. told all your friends and everybody. Uh, I think this is th this book's going to be a real game changer, uh, it is. And, and it's really going and it's really going to change your view of what you may have thought was important for your kids. Uh, yeah. And and you know uh, comp the competition is real between you know now that I'm a parent I see it competition is real and uh, oh they met their milestones at this time mm -hmm. and I can only imagine what it's like in school my kids in AP my kids here right. my kids there it's ridiculous. But and, and we know that it's the kids that have the executive functioning, have the social experiences, are involved in their community and are doing multiple things besides having nothing but screen based activities within their day that are most likely to succeed. Uh, right. and, I, and, I, and I'm very interested to hear. I looked in the index in the back for executive functioning. And I did not see it. Nope. So, um, Nobody so, um, talks about it. I think yeah. it was mentioned once in our first yeah. book, like it was just some random term he threw out there, even though the book was about skills. yeah, non-cognitive skills or yep. character traits or, you character know, traits. and I'm like, what's he talking about? He's talking about executive functioning. But yep. so Mike, I want to end tonight with um, the last uh, paragraph on page 10, because I just feel yep. like this will kind of prepare the way. So our bottom line, this is the author's talking. Our nation continues to plod away with incremental fixes to an obsolete education system and as innovation races ahead, our world continues to place outsized weight on education credentials despite skyrocketing financial and emotional costs and considerable data that the value proposition behind most credentials is empty. For the millions of Americans charting the education waters today, the stakes couldn't be higher. Today's youth live in a world brimming with opportunity. Some will create, catalyze, and capitalize on a dynamic world hungry for innovation but others will be left behind. Students who only know how to perform well in today's education system 
get good grades and test scores and earn degrees will no longer be those who are most likely to succeed. Thriving in the 21st century will require real competencies far more than academic wow wow there there you have it i mean these guys can write i will tell you that i mean i i consider myself a writer these guys can write so i'm i'm gonna reach out to these guys and we're gonna see if they are gonna join us i would Uh, love if we could get either one of them to join us on chapter chat wouldn't that be amazing i Um, reached out i reached out to paul tuff and he actually wrote me back himself saying saying i'm in the process of writing my new book So oh. I can't, so I can't join, but that was okay. Fine. That's no problem. Fine. That's I think, fine. I, I think Posse is a bit too of a, too, a he's a, he's a world. He's too renat. big. He's yeah. A, he's he's a little, like, yeah. Yeah. World. He's, Where, he's too he big. works for the, um, but I think we can get two yeah. of these guys. The oh, world bank. Be yeah. Amazing. Well, we can ask all they, all they can do is say no, you know? Exactly. So, um, yeah. So they're, they're, they're two, like there's their pictures on the back and yeah. I say they, they, one like is a math guy and one is an education guy and they just happen to run across each other. And so I really like what we've read so far, Mike, I am super excited. So next week we will read chapter one it begins on page 19, mm-hmm. um, our education. It's short. Ooh, it's it not is very short. Long. Okay, yeah, chapter, yeah. The rest of them must be really long. Cause so we're just going to do chapter one. This is called chapter chat for a reason. We try mm-hmm. to keep it simple. So, <laughs> <laughs> that, um, because we're all busy and we can't, we don't want to read too much in one night. So next week we'll read our education DNA. So hopefully if you're reading along with us, you'll have time to check it out. If not, please join us because Mike and I do the hard part and read for you. We yep. try to take notes and highlight our book and uh, we will be back next week to discuss chapter one. Exactly. And everyone who's here and who's been with us since day one, tell all your friends, tell, tell everyone at work, all the teachers, the parents, Tell them to listen in, spread the word. Yep, uh, we appreciate this, this, it. This really is the grassroots movement. You know, show them, show them the, uh, invite them to the podcasts on Apple and Spotify. Tell them to join us live. The yep. more people that we can have here Monday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern, the more people we can have discussing this book, reading this book with us, the more people that are actually using their free time to ingest this knowledge mm-hmm. uh, and, and learn about what's happening, uh, the, the, the faster the change will come. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. All right, you guys, Mike, once again, thank you for another uh, awesome hour. I just, That's right. I, I love it. It's great. So you guys have a wonderful week. Mike and I will see you next Monday night at 8 p.m. Eastern. Take care. See you guys. Bye.